Tonight we are in Psalm 67. For the director of music, with stringed instruments, a psalm, a song. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us, that your ways may be known on earth, your salvation among all nations. May the peoples praise you, O God. May all the peoples praise you. May the nations be glad and sing for joy. For you rule the peoples justly and guide the nations of the earth. May the peoples praise you, O God. May all the peoples praise you. Then the land will yield its harvest and God, our God, will bless us. God will bless us and all the ends of the earth will fear him. This is God's word. We got the wrong, wrong instruments tonight. For the director of music with stringed instruments, we got the brass. Um, <laughs> never mind. Bass guitar, acoustic guitar, piano, stringed instruments. We're okay. Um, it's fine. Uh, if you haven't met me, I'm Simon. I'm one of the uh, the ministers here. We're going to take a look at this psalm together. We're looking at a few psalms this January uh, under the title "Old Truths, New Ambitions." Because, as we said last week, 2014 is shaping up to be uh, a year of new things. The new 7 p.m. service beginning in just two weeks' time, uh, being uh, the headline of the, the new things, of course. So it's important for us to know as a church, what kinds of things are we free to change? What things are just cultural so we can mess about with them uh, a bit? Uh, what are the things that uh, we must keep the same, that the Bible insists that we maintain and believe in and do not change? Two weeks ago, we looked at the cross of Jesus Christ, which saves us. That's got to always be at the center of our faith. Last week, we looked at living now for eternity. That's always got to be our perspective. And tonight, as part of World Focus Sunday, it is uh, reaching the nations with the gospel. That has always got to be at the heart of what we're trying to do, uh, our ambitions under God as a church. So let me pray as we look at this psalm together. Heavenly Father, thank you for this glorious psalm, this song, so full of your praise and so full of a huge burning desire to see the nations praising you. Please would we capture some of that in our own hearts this evening, for your glory's sake. Amen. Imagine tonight you go home from church, you're, uh, put your pyjamas on, get in bed, and God sends an angel to you in the middle of the night. And uh, at first you panic a bit and you think, uh, what's going on here? Uh, I'm not Mary, I'm not Joseph, I don't think it's that. Um, uh, and you listen to what the angel is saying and uh, here's the message. God says to you, I'm going to bless the world. I'm going to make myself known to all peoples. Uh, I'm going to make them glad uh, and sing for joy because my grace and my salvation and, and justice and guidance have come to them so that all nations will praise me. And there's silence for a moment as you take that in and you think, that is great. I kind of believe that already, though. And so after a little while, it feels a bit awkward, you say to the angel, thanks, it's really encouraging to hear that again, but it's 3 a.m., I've got an early start. Um, The angel continues, God is going to bless the world 
And he's going to do it through you. And now you're wide awake. What do you mean? He's going to do it through blessing you. What, what, what do you mean? God's going to bless the world through blessing me. I'm, I'm just, just me. I don't know what you mean. But that's it. The angel's gone. Uh, you're left a, a bit freaked out. You're not quite sure what to do. You wonder who you can call at three in the morning. And then you look at Facebook and, and loads of your mates are saying, this weird thing has happened. I've seen an angel in the middle of the night and, uh, and he said, God's going to bless the world by blessing me. I don't, I don't understand what it's about. Can you imagine the excitement? Uh, you couldn't wait to get together the next day with, with, with other friends who'd had the same uh, and talk about it. What, what are we going to do? What, what does it mean? Now, let me say, I don't think that's going to happen tonight. Don't rule it out. Uh, God can do anything. Um, but that message, God choosing to bless the world through his people, through you and me, if you're a Christian, that is true. We don't need a mass visitation of an angel to tell us that. And yet what I would love to happen this evening as we look at Psalm 67 is for us to react with some of the awe and excitement that we would react with, uh, that I've just described. Because as we read the Bible, God is speaking to us, addressing us personally, just as much as if he sent an angel to our bedsides. And what we have in Psalm 67 is a snapshot of people who believe exactly that uh, message that God has chosen to bless them in order to bless the world. It's a snapshot of what they pray, what they desire, what they sing. And my hope is that that prayer will increasingly become ours as a church. So let's dive in. If you're taking notes, there's space on your, your service sheets for that. The, the main point of this whole thing, I think, is, is this. God blesses us in order to bless the nations. God blesses us in order to bless the nations. You can see that logic expressed very clearly in the first couple of verses. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine upon us. Why? Verse 2. So that your ways may be known on earth, your salvation among all nations. And exactly the same sequence is there at the end in verse 7. God will bless us. And all the ends of the earth will fear him. In one sense, that is it. That is the theme that runs through this song, which is a torrent of praise and prayer that God might bless all people by blessing his own people. But I want us to find our way through this amazing song in a a really simple way. Uh, Past, present, and future. Verses 1 and 2 point us backwards to the past promises of God, as we'll see. Verses 3 to 5 in the middle express the the present passion of God's people. And then at the end, 6 and 7, the future harvest of all peoples. Past, present, and future. In the past, we see God's plan. In the present, the passion of God's people. In the future, this global harvest. So let's begin with the past promises of God in verses 1 and 2. These verses allude to a couple of very significant moments in the history of God's people. And I want us to to see or be reminded that this has always been God's plan. It was always his intention to bless the the peoples of the world by blessing his own people. So there are two key Bible passages in the background uh, of these verses. First, uh, maybe you remember Genesis chapter 12, right uh, at the beginning of the Bible. uh, Abraham, one of the founding fathers uh, of the Israelite nation, the founding father, one of the first to receive God's promises 
Here's this message from God. God says to Abraham, I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I'll bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Those verses are in the background of Psalm 67. Do you see the enormous implication of that promise to Abraham? Abraham, when God spoke to him, was just the first step in God's plan to bless the whole world. It was never about just Abraham. It was always about blessing the world through him and through his family. Fast forward a few hundred years to uh, a second passage, which is alluded to in these verses, Numbers chapter 6. And uh, Abraham's family have become the, the people of Israel, led by Moses and his brother Aaron. And see if you... Uh, catch the illusion in these verses. The Lord says to Moses, tell Aaron and his sons, this is how you are to bless the Israelites. Say to them, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. So they'll put my name on the Israelites and I will bless them, says God. These are wonderful, poetic, comforting words of assurance, uh, quoted in a number of other psalms, as well as 67, and on lots of Christian posters with inexplicable kittens and sunsets and and things like that. Um, But this glorious language of God's face shining upon his people, turning towards them, it's the kind of language that would be used of uh, the face of an all-powerful human ruler. You know the feeling, you're summoned to see your boss or a head teacher or some powerful figure of authority and you have absolutely no idea what for. And uh, you're not sure whether you're going to get a big promotion or be sacked. could be anything between the two. School prize or expulsion. Just no clue. Uh, and you, you, you enter the office hesitantly. And before anything is said, you're, you're, you're looking at their face to catch the slightest hint of what, what they feel towards you. Will they turn towards you and smile and lavish their their blessings on you with a a shining face? Will they look away with a grimace and dish out whatever punishment is coming your way? That's something of the idea here. God, well, God is the one with ultimate authority, the power to give life and take it away, to punish sins or forgive them. And uh, Aaron and his sons, who were to pronounce this blessing, they were the priests in Israel. They were responsible for, for, for bringing sacrifices to God to deal with sin so that God would forgive rather than punish. And when they'd finished offering these sacrifices for sins, they pronounced those words of blessing. May the Lord make his face shine upon you, turn his face towards you. Or we could sort of simplify it in our language and say, may God smile on you. May you live life not under the frown of God, but under the smile, his smile of approval as he takes delight in you, as he shows his joy to you. A smile from somebody in authority is a a wonderful thing. I love the look on my son Joel's face when uh, he's done something bad and then been forgiven. And uh, he's still maybe looking at us with a slight nervous look on his face and a bit of a furrowed brow. He does an amazing furrowed brow, his eyebrows like this. But if I, as his dad, give him a a great big smile to say, you're forgiven, I love you, he just can't not smile back. 
is just a, a lovely thing. Um, and he see, you see the comfort, the security on his face. Israel was being told, trust in these sacrifices for your sins and you will live under God's smile, the blessing of God's smile. And what Psalm 67 says by picking up those words of blessing is that that was never just for Israel. God was blessing them, not just for themselves, but in order to bless the nations. That was always God's plan from beginning to end. Verse 1, God's grace and blessing and smile towards Israel were always intended, verse 2, in order that his ways and his salvation, that same grace and blessing and smile, would be made known to the world. In 2014, we have the privilege of being able to look back over much more of the history of God's working with his people than the psalmist did. We can see how eventually Jesus came, the ultimate descendant of Abraham, the one through whom God would bless the world. All of those promises of the Old Testament converge on him. And when he came, he did two things that uh, made absolutely certain the blessings of God could finally go out to all people as God intended. First, he replaced all those priestly sacrifices with his own death. There's no more need to travel to a, a temple and offer sacrifices. The job's done for all of us who trust in him. Wherever anybody is in the world, they can just put their trust in Jesus' death. And then Aaron's blessing, that smile of God's forgiveness and favor, is there for them, for anyone in the world who seeks it. And secondly, uh, Jesus sent his disciples, the church, Christ Church Mayfair, into the world, to all nations. Uh, in the famous Great Commission at the end of Matthew's Gospel, Jesus' final instruction is to go and make disciples of all nations. God blesses his disciples, the church, in order that the whole world would be blessed. So let me ask you, um, uh, this evening, did, did you know, or, or had you maybe forgotten, that it was always God's plan to bless the world through his people? I remember as a student being shown this through the Bible for the very first time, and suddenly the, the Bible clicked together and made sense for me in a way that it never had before. Uh, I don't know about you, it's, it's easy to think that somehow God is doing something now in the world, going to all nations, that he wasn't really doing before. There's this sort of slightly weird, insular, small stuff with Israel and, and individuals in the Old Testament that doesn't look as if it's for the world. It all is. Everything God was doing was always so that his blessings would go to the world. If you're here tonight, you wouldn't call yourself a follower of Jesus at the moment. Maybe uh, the church sometimes looks like something rather exclusive and, and insular. Please know that that is never God's intention, even when it looks like that. Or maybe you look at Christians and you think, oh, gosh, they can be a little annoying when it, it comes to trying to convince everybody else of what they believe. Maybe somebody's dragged you here tonight uh, and you've run out of excuses and you're here slightly reluctantly. Um, well, sure, Christians often make mistakes. But God's plan is to reach the world through Christians. For Christians to share the blessings they've received from God with you. Let them go on. And if you're a Christian... Uh, remember, this is what God is doing. This is what he's always been doing in the world. And that, that needs to grip us, to take hold of us. 
Uh, I read this week about a man called John Elliott, uh, a man who emigrated from Britain to America in 1631, uh, one of the, the, the initial migrants. And age 27, he became pastor of a new church in Massachusetts. And in the vicinity of the neighborhood where the church was set up, there were uh, about 20 tribes of, uh, of Indians, of Native Americans there. Now remember, these were often very racist times. People, the settlers, often just concerned to move on the people of the land so that they could take over. Uh, and the, uh, John Eliot just was in the midst of that but couldn't avoid what the Bible was saying to him. The Bible said God was going to bless all peoples. And so he got to his mid-40s and then decided to study Algonquin. I don't know if that's pronounced right. Uh, the language of the, the local tribes. And uh, all by himself, he engaged with them and he figured out the, the vocab and the syntax. Uh, there's no dictionaries around, no uh, internet language courses that he could uh, go to in those days. And then having done that, he translated the whole Bible and a whole load of other books. Uh, God granted him a long life. By the time he was 84, numerous churches had been planted and were flourishing amongst those tribes. Many with their own homegrown pastors. Uh, that man was transformed away from some of the cultural mindsets of his day by God's plan to bless the world through his people. And we need to be changed in exactly the same way. American pastor John Piper uh, wrote this book. It's a very good book. Uh, I think we've got a couple of copies on the bookshelf. Let the Nations Be Glad. The copies on the bookshelf have a much better cover than my ancient <laughs> edition. It's a great read, uh, much of it inspired by Psalm 67. But in the process of writing this book, John Piper uh, himself found himself being transformed by what God was revealing to him in the scriptures. In his diary, one day as he was writing the book, he wrote this. A new sense is in my life, owing to my new awakening to the big unfinished cause of missions. And the sense is this, he says, as I kneel to pray this morning about a very busy Monday, I feel a new strategicness about it all. I don't know if that's a word, strategicness, but you get what he means. Um, I feel the sense of wanting and expecting God to make every meeting and visit and uh, report and leisurely contact and Bible study and preparation a part of the plot. And the plot being God's plan to, to bless the nations through his people. And maybe you and I need a similar kind of awakening, the same sense of strategicness uh, about life, so that we start to see how everything we do might be more deliberately contributing to that great plan. Look to the past promises of God. Uh, see his consistent plan throughout the whole of the Bible, and then align your priorities with his. It is what he's always been doing. It is what he's doing now. Next, uh, in verses 3 to 5, the middle of the psalm, the present passions of God's people. Now, as we get into these verses, let me uh, preface it by saying that repetition in the Bible tends to indicate emphasis, often very emotional emphasis, especially in the psalms. So, with that in mind, what do you make of verses 3 to 5? May the peoples praise you, O God. May all the peoples praise you. 
May the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you rule the peoples justly and guide the nations of the earth. May the peoples praise you, O God. May all the peoples praise you. Four times, may all the peoples praise you. In Bible terms, that is pretty much off-the-scale repetition. Uh, Mr. Psalmist, I was just wondering if I've got this right. Are you saying you're quite keen for all the nations to uh, praise God? Yes. (laughs) This is, in one sense, the only appropriate response to seeing that this is always God's plan. And that this is the only thing that will truly make the people of the nations happy. Did you catch that in the middle of verse 4? May the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you rule the peoples justly and guide the nations of the earth. As Matt said, some people object to the idea of wanting everybody in the world to praise God, the God of the Bible. Why impose something like that on people? Can't we just let people relax and seek meaning and satisfaction and joy on their own terms? Uh, I guess if you talk to most people in the world, they'd say that, yes, in a, in a vague general sense, uh, I'd quite like people in the world to be happy. I'd like to teach the world to sing in perfect harmony. I'd, I'd like to uh, buy the world a Coke and keep it company. Uh, what Christians should be taking to the world, people often say, it, it's not their God, not their beliefs in Jesus Christ and that sort of worshipy, beliefy sort of stuff. What they should be taking are are the good things like charity, social reform, material goods, medicines, education, democracy, so on. And so uh, the great Christian missionary movements of the past, you'll, you'll know, they're often frowned upon. When they took Christianity to the people, uh, they're regarded as culturally imperialist. Uh, they're often commended only when that proclamation of Jesus Christ took a back seat. Uh, and it just became various kinds of social change under the name of mission work without the gospel message of Jesus Christ. It looks, when people are doing that, superficially as if verse 4 is being achieved. People being glad, people singing for joy. But that's not in and of itself how God will bless the nations. Those things are all good things. It's good to take medicine and food. It's good to enact good social change. But see how in Psalm 67, the gladness and the joy of all the people cannot be ultimately separated from them coming to praise God. Verse 4. The nations come to trust him as their Lord. They see that he's a God of justice who it is a joy to submit to. They see that he's a God of guidance who will lead them perfectly. If we think the peoples of the world can find permanent, eternal gladness and joy without knowing God, then actually we're missing the point of history. We're missing God's plan, the whole point of what he's doing on this on this earth. So let me ask you, do you believe that? Uh, if you're a half-decent human being, as we've said, you, you do want the people you see to be happy. You want the people you know and love to be happy. You want your acquaintances, even the people on the street, the, the people you've never met, the nations. You want the world to be happy. But let's realize this. Permanent happiness doesn't and won't come ultimately through education. It won't ultimately come through welfare or political change or social change. 
Only knowing and praising God can bring that happiness. We should long that the nations, that the people of the world, come to him. Now that is true whether or not you have the chance of improving people's lot in life here and now. I want to give a couple of examples. One of where there was no time to improve people's life here and now, and and another where there is lots of time. In this one, there's no time. In 1738, Charles Wesley, the famous hymn writer, uh, became a Christian himself, and then two months later decided uh, to take a friend with him and spend a week telling uh, inmates in London's notorious Newgate prison about Jesus. So he spent a week there. He got to know a number of the prisoners. He got to know quite a few men who were going to be executed later that week. And the night before the execution, he was really feeling for these guys. And he asked the prison officers if he could spend the night in the cells with the condemned men. And so he got himself locked in with them and he shared the the good news of Jesus with them. And then the next day, as expected, uh, the men were were loaded on a a cart outside the prison. They were brought along what is now Oxford Street. Uh, Just up the road at Marble Arch uh, was Tyburn, the the gallows. Uh, And there they were executed. And Wesley wrote this. They were all cheerful, full of comfort, peace, and triumph, assuredly persuaded that Christ had died for them and waited to receive them into paradise. One who was a black slave saluted me with his looks. As often as his eyes met mine, he smiled with the most composed, delightful countenance I ever saw. We left them going to meet their Lord ready for the bridegroom. When the cart drew off, not one stirred or struggled for life, but meekly gave up their spirits. He says, I spoke a few suitable words to the crowd and returned full of peace and confidence in our friend's happiness. That hour under the gallows was the most blessed hour of my life. Extraordinary. There was no time to improve their lot in life here and now, but those condemned men went joyfully into paradise just like the thief on the cross next to Jesus did. But you might, you might ask, what if there is time to improve people's lives socially? Shouldn't we be bringing that kind of joy as well? Well, yes, the things I mentioned are all good things to, to bring, but uh, by way of second illustration, let me mention some very interesting research that I came across uh, this week. Uh, two years ago, in 2012, a sociologist called Robert Woodbury published uh, a decade's worth of research Uh, into the effect that Christian missionaries have on the social health of nations. And he wrote this. The work of missionaries turns out to be the single largest factor in ensuring the health of nations. He says that that discovery landed on him like an atom bomb. Let me read a quote from him. Areas where Protestant missionaries had significant presence in the past are on average more economically developed today with comparatively better health, lower infant mortality, lower corruption, greater literacy, higher educational attainment, especially for women, more robust membership in non-governmental associations. All of these things are true of places where, where missionaries worked. And he concedes that there were and are racist missionaries and missionaries who do self-centered things. But he adds that, well, if that were the norm, you'd expect that the places where missionaries had influence to be worse than places where missionaries weren't allowed or were restricted in their actions. But we find exactly the opposite on all kinds of outcomes, he says. 
And amazingly, he says, this is only true of missionaries who sought to lead people to Christ. It's not true of those who only worked for social transformation. Isn't that extraordinary? Social change is so much more permanent and embedded when it is a result of repentance and people putting their trust in Jesus. Put those two things together. Condemned prisoners finding eternal happiness and nations finding social improvement that followed after its people discovered eternal happiness in God. It shows that to have this passion for people to come to Christ and be blessed makes perfect sense. Let's be passionate for the eternal happiness of the world, which means praying for all peoples to know Jesus. The last element of this great psalm in uh, verses 6 and 7 is about the future, the future harvest of all peoples. And uh, we'll touch on this briefly because it's really just the end point of everything that's gone before. God will keep his promises to bless all nations by blessing his people. There's a language in verse 6 of a harvest, which Jesus himself picks up when he speaks of the harvest uh, of people being plentiful but the workers being few, and so send people out to the harvest field. God's people are blessed. Look at the repeated emphasis of that in verse 6. God, our God, will bless us. And again in verse 7, God will bless us. But with God's people in verse 7 are people from all the ends of the earth. Did you notice that those last two verses are no longer a prayer? All the rest of the psalm is a prayer, but these verses are a certainty. This global harvest will happen. God has promised. This is why John Eliot took the message of Jesus to those American Indians. He wanted to praise God in eternity with them. He wanted them with him on that day. This is why Charles Wesley took the message of Jesus into Newgate Prison. He wanted to praise God with them in eternity. That's why we should have this same passion that they had. If we see somebody, whether from the UK or elsewhere, who who doesn't know Jesus, we should think like them. We should think, I want to praise God in eternity with this person. I want to see God bless this person with the blessings that, that he's given me. Let's draw it all together. What's gonna, what's, what's this gonna look like for us here at Christchurch Mayfair? Uh, you don't need an angel at your bedside to tell you God intends to bless the world through you if you're a believer in Jesus. So let me suggest, expanding on what Matt said a bit earlier, uh, four things that, that this might mean for us personally. So as Matt said, some should go. Some should go to the nations. Uh, many who've already gone here, uh, from here, are in the, uh, the little book that you've been uh, passed. Uh, many others, uh, the, the non-out book, have, have gone out from Christchurch Mayfair, uh, gone for short-term or long-term missions. Maybe you should be next. Maybe you already feel passionate or, or could find a, a God-given passion for part of the world. Or you're not sure now, but maybe one day. Don't lose that thought. Make the most of the visitors that we have here today. They'd love to talk to you. Make the most of the expertise, the experience, the wisdom that they've got. Talk to friends, leaders here at church. Students, you have long summer holidays, and you won't have them for many more years. 
Uh, I know finances can be hard, but pray hard and think hard about doing something. A summer camp in the UK or a short-term mission somewhere else in the world. Don't let your student years slip by and then regret not doing something like this when you, you had the time. Some should go. Not all should go. That would make things a bit hard here. Um, not all are in a, in a position to go. Some should stay. So uh, three things that all of us can do. Again, building on what Matt said. First, pray. Pray like Psalm 67. Uh, we make praying for our mission partners an important part of every Sunday service uh, and every monthly prayer meeting. But why not make it more personal than that? Choose a mission partner yourself as a small group. You could uh, adopt one uh, and uh, commit to praying for one together. Uh, write to, to them if you can. Uh, as, as we said earlier, a couple of lines to express your support and prayers can be a fantastic thing. It's an immense encouragement to them. All of us can do that. Uh, further afield, uh, this again is an ancient edition, but uh, the book called Operation World, you can uh, go through this and it, it lists every country of the world, gives you all sorts of facts that you could uh, look at and then pray. Pray for the church in that country, that God would bless that country through that church. Pray for people to come to Christ. So first, pray. Second, welcome. Uh, we live in London. The world is here. People from countless nations, uh, uh, many untouched by the gospel, many from countries closed to the gospel where missionaries and evangelism are, are, are illegal. Um, and yet they're here. They're your colleagues. They're your neighbors. You've been blessed by God in order to bless them. Welcome them. Bring them to church. Every Friday evening here, we have an international cafe. Bring international friends along. Every Thursday, there's a a Chinese-speaking fellowship that meets alongside the other small groups here in church. Many internationals come here on Sunday. You can be part of that without emigrating. Uh, And lastly, give. Uh, As a church... Uh, We give, I think it's currently 12% of our our annual budget to our mission partners overseas and here in the UK. Uh, We hope to gradually increase that. And if you're a a regular here, have a fresh think uh, about how you can give, whether you can increase it. Can you give for the first time if you're not? God has blessed you incredibly if you trust in Christ. You live life under God's smile if you believe in him. And that blessing is not just for you. It's not just for us who share it already. It's for the world. Let's pray. Lord God, you are an extraordinarily generous, forgiving, loving, gracious God. We, if we trust in you, have benefited, have been so blessed to know you, to receive your forgiveness, your kindness, your mercy for our our sin, your forgiveness. We pray, Father, that you would help us not to be selfish with those blessings that you've lavished upon us. Help us, Father, to look out into the world and long for others to know the blessings that you've given us. We pray, Father, that you would make us, even more than we are, a missionary church. Give us all, we pray, hearts that long to see the world come to Christ. And help us, Lord, as individuals to pray 
to work out what we can do, to get involved in those ways that we've talked about, that we might be part of blessing your world as part of your plan. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.